Hey, how's everyone doing? Welcome to another episode of a different type of bean counter. Uh, this is Donald Wells of Wells CPA. Uh, we're going to go through something today that is technical in nature. I'm going to try and be quick, so I'm going to stay at a high level. But if you have any follow-up questions or you'd like to discuss it at all, feel free to give me a call or um, email me at donald at wells, W-E-L-L-S, C-P-A-O-H dot com. So we're going to jump right into it. Donor advised funds. What are they? Um, and why is an accountant talking about donor advised funds? Uh, donor advised funds are funds that are held at um, trust organizations. Generally speaking, as we think about them locally in uh, central Ohio, they're the dollars that are held at the Columbus Foundation. There are funds that are set up by individuals or by organizations whereby dollars are able to be put into those funds where the organization has a um, implicit or implied benefit to those dollars. Um, so first and foremost, I'm going to be completely transparent with you. Um, I sit on the board of a organization that holds donor advice funds, the National Christian Foundation of uh, Central Ohio. So I sit on that board. I also do some uh, training and speaking from time to time for the Columbus Foundation. So those are two organizations that I'm very familiar with that hold the donor advice funds. Um, and if it comes across that I'm promoting uh, the use of donor advised funds, I think I am. Um, and that is something that I've, I've gotten around to over the last couple of years. Um, obviously, uh, we know that in Central Ohio, there's a New Albany uh, Community Foundation, there's a Bexley one, there's an Upper Arlington. Uh, there are tons of community foundations and uh, they all have donor advised funds. I know that even Morgan Stanley has donor advised funds. So they're all over the place. Um, I believe that this is something that we really uh, want to start to think about. So donor advised funds. The way that we account for donor advised funds and stay with me because I'm going to go around the barn to get to where I'm going is in most cases, organizations, nonprofit organizations are accounting for donor advised funds incorrectly. They are putting the value of the fund on their balance sheet as something called beneficial interest in third party assets. Here's how it works. Let's say that you get a statement from a, a community foundation and it says that there's $100,000 of assets in that fund. You look at your balance sheet, and your balance sheet says 90000 Well, all good accountants want to reconcile or balance to external statements. So what ends up happening is that we will record either unrealized gain or loss or a contribution for $10,000 to get our ninety up to a hundred. So that's the way that we typically are seeing it being accounted for. And unfortunately, it's completely wrong. Um, everybody 
has accepted that um, these dollars are accounted for incorrectly. And if you if we think about it, and I'm going to take the Columbus Foundation, they have a balance sheet where they have that $100,000 setting on their balance sheet. And then my not-for-profit also has $100,000 sitting on their balance sheet. So it looks like there's $200,000 out there. So it's impossible for both organizations to have the $100,000 sitting on their balance sheet. So somebody's wrong. And in most cases, it's the not-for-profit that's wrong. I'm going to share with you some technical literature real quick here because I want you to know how we should be accounting for um, uh, these accounts. And I'm going to read to you. And this is the FASB, the Financial Accounting Standards Board, ASC 98-605-25-31. So for those of you that are my clients that interact with me, yes, every now and then I do know technical references. Uh, this says that if an organization is named as the beneficiary of assets transferred to a recipient entity and that entity is explicitly granted variance power by the donor, the beneficiary organization should not recognize any potential right to the asset held by the recipient entity. What does that say? So if... <clears throat> If the dollars are setting at a community foundation and they have something called variance power, then you as an organization don't have an asset. Now, I will tell you that uh, I disagree with a portion of this because this says that even if you take money out of your, your account and put it into a donor advised fund, that you no longer have an asset. I don't like that. Uh, just in the not-for-profit world, there's tons of reasons that I don't like it. But that's what this says. Therefore, if I make a contribution into your donor advice fund, there's no way you have an asset. Nothing happened. You don't send me an acknowledgement. My contribution is made to the community foundation. I didn't make a contribution to you. There is no asset to be um, accounted for at the not-for-profit level. Um, I went and looked, because I always forget the, the term, variance power. Um, and I did some research uh, for this podcast. And one of the things that underlies the basic definition of a community foundation, uh, and I've got this from an uh, article, an important distinguishing feature of a community foundation is the variance power. It gives the community foundation greater flexibility to adapt to the changing charitable needs of the community. More specifically, the variance power gives a community foundation the unilateral power to change the charitable purpose of a fund if circumstances have sufficiently changed to make the original restriction inappropriate. All right, what does that say? That says that the community foundation can say no. That's what it says. So if you put dollars into a community foundation and then you ask for a grant of those dollars back, so for those of you that have these accounts, you know you submit a grant application to get dollars out. 
Well, they can say no. Now, in theory and in true practice, they're never going to say no. But they do have that, well, let me say this. They're never going to say no if the ask is in line with the fund. Um, Columbus Foundation and different other foundations, they have some stipulations about doing things overseas and uh, some uh, foundations will have social justice things. And, and so you've got a lot of uh, those type of issues out there where they'll say no. National Christian Foundation uh, will only uh, make grants to other uh, faith-based organizations. So you have things like that. But the big picture is that they have the right to say no. So if they have the right to say no, it's not your asset. When you go to Huntington Bank or PNC or Chase or Key or anyone else, and you go up to the window and you ask for your money, they can't say no. So when you think about just the accounts, what we're doing in a lot of cases, we're treating the uh, community foundation, the donor advised fund, the same way we treat a bank account. That's wrong. Now, we've been talking and I've, I've spoken to a lot of people about the new revenue rules that have come out. And what the new revenue rules say is that if someone makes a contribution to you and they restrict it for the future, unless they put a specific barrier or performance requirement in it, it has to be treated as current year revenue. Example. So let's say that I have an organization I want to donate to, and I want to donate to their, so today is November 7th, 2020. Let's say I want to donate to their summer 2021 program, and I write the check right now. What we've typically done in the not-for-profit world is that we put that on the, on the uh, balance sheet saying that it's uh, deferred so that we don't have to recognize revenue. The rule, new rule says that money's not deferred. That money is restricted. What's the difference, Donald? Well, the difference is in one case it runs through income and the other case it doesn't. Well, how can I keep it from running through income, Donald? Well, if I made the contribution to you and I said, this is for your 2021 summer program and it's for the summer program that you run at Capital University. So now I'm starting to get more of a performance because you can do the 2021 program without having it capital. So, so now I'm starting to put barriers in place. When I put those barriers in place, that's when those dollars don't run through income. All right, so here's where we're at. So many people, uh, especially art organizations, I've seen it recently, and I've seen it with uh, the summer programs and things of that nature, where people are running towards their December year ends, collecting, trying to collect money to fund next year's program. Well, what we're creating with this new accounting rule is that we're creating peaks and valleys in the, in the uh, financial statements. Uh, I have a client that we just went through this. They're about a $1.6 million. And what we saw was about a $300,000 impact 
when we uh, changed our accounting for those those future contributions. So we don't we don't like peaks and valleys for two reasons. Uh, one, funders get very nervous when you have a huge profit one year and then you have a huge loss the next year. If you think about that summer program that I donated to right now, they would have income this year. Next year, when they run the program, they would have an expense with no income. So, Donald, how do we create from having these peaks and valleys? One of the things, and this came about as I was talking through this with a client, is to utilize donor advice funds. If that organization I made the contribution to had a donor-advised fund and said, hey, Don, could you make the contribution to that fund? Uh, And they were going to account for that correctly, they would have no income in the current year. Because as we uh, spoke about earlier, the dollars go to the donor-advised funds uh, where there is variance power creates no transaction for that non-profit. The transaction takes place in 2021 when they go to the donor-advised fund and ask for that grant. Now they have grant income. Then they go and they do their summer program. Now they have an expense. So what we've done is we've created, um, we've removed, strategically removed the peaks and valleys out of our income statements. So it's it's a it's a new accounting rule. I don't know how long this is going to stick around because I think it's creating issues that no one wanted to create. And when I speak on that, I'm talking about the revenue recognition. It's creating um, organizations having to go to donors and have conversations about, hey, we'd rather you put this into the donor advice fund or creating conversations with uh, funders. Hey, this year we're having a huge year because um, everyone's contributing early. I'm not sure if that's going to happen again next year, so I need you to be anticipating a, a loss next year. Um, so on the front end, it's creating a lot more conversations. Well, those conversations are great conversations and should be had, but they're not delivering programs, right? So so now we're we're removing the not-for-profit organization from delivering the programs that they want to deliver. Donor advised funds. Uh, one, let's just be clear about the fact that in most cases we're not accounting for them properly. It's got to, you've got to make the decision on how you're going to do and whether or not you're going to do it correctly or not. Two, and doing it correctly or not has become common practice. So uh, very few audit firms are making a stink about folks not doing it correctly. Two, the donor advised funds can help you deal with the new revenue recognition uh, and the peaks and valleys that that creates. I'd I'd highly uh, suggest that you invest some time with your finance committee or your board or an external advisor to look at your financial and the flow of your monies to determine is this going to be a factor or not. In the case that we talked about earlier where my client, we saw a $300,000 increase in their current year income. 
if they do not get the same contributions toward their 2022 program, they absolutely are going to have a, a, a operating loss for the year of uh, of 21. So it's creating that that huge peak and valley. And for them, what one point six million four three hundred thousand? That's about a what's that twenty percent or so? That's about a twenty percent influx um, that typically had never run through the income statement. So I've said a whole lot. Hopefully, some of it made sense. Hopefully, some of it piqued your curiosity to go and learn learn more. Um, I'm Donald from a Well CPA. Um, Donald at Well CPA. Um, subscribe to the podcast. A different type of bean counter. I think I've settled into a pattern of where I try to do one once a month, and every now and then I'll get two out. Uh, but this is this is something that been on been pressing on me to talk about. And uh, there's a lot of different reasons and a lot of different strategies behind why a not-for-profit would want to utilize a donor-advised fund. In my profession, I can tell you that 10 years ago, I didn't have the scope and understanding of it, and I didn't like donor-advised funds. Over the last 10 years, I have learned that uh, the value of not only having it from an accounting standpoint, but also the value of being in... Uh, a larger pool, um, and we know this in Columbus, Ohio, right? In Columbus, Ohio, we have the Big Give, and we have all these other things uh, that that the Columbus Foundation does a fantastic job of. And all all community foundations and all foundations typically will have something like that 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 they can help you uh, generate more eyeballs towards your program. So. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. I think if you get a chance, you can even comment on the podcast. I, I think that we've, we've moved up another ring on the, uh, on the ladder. So um, have a great day. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And uh, let me know your thoughts and questions. Thanks a lot. Bye.